Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Games are fun, but they're more than fun. They do more than we give them credit for. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that video games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. In 2010, we introduced a new element to the TV show I used to host called the Twitter Question of the Day. Viewers could send us their questions over Twitter. Really can't think of a better way to end a show other than answering a question from people watching the show. It just sort of tied us to the audience in a very real way. We were sure we'd be flooded with questions, but that's not what happened. Instead, we got a slow, steady trickle, and some days we didn't have any questions at all to answer, and we'd have to put a call out on Twitter itself and and just ask people for something we could use to close the show and we'd stop production, the camera guy would stop shooting, Vic and I would take a break and we'd wait for a Twitter question to come in. Vic and I got a question from a man who called himself Mr. Precision and we liked the question. We went back to the set, we answered it with the cameras rolling. Within a week, Mr. Precision had become our go-to for questions. He was a bottomless font of questions. Where should Mario games go from here? He asked. What do racing games need to do to distinguish themselves in today's market? These were good questions. Not too broad and not too overly specific either. With plenty of opportunities for Vic and for me to be funny. We could count on Mr. Precision. Mr. Precision was our guy. Mr. Precision's real name is Kyle Chenard. He is my guest on today's show, which starts now. My name is Kyle Chenard. I am the number one question asker on EP Daily of all time. I will not say that. Why? Because there are good questions on there. I'm just... You're the number one guy. No one submitted more questions on a regular basis than you did. Well, yeah, because I barraged you guys with questions. A little bit, but I, <laughs> I think we enjoyed it. My ratio was pretty bad. You mean questions asked to the number we answered on the show? <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the Electric Playground. It is time for our Twitter question of the day, and this one is from our old friend, Kyle Chenard, Mr. Underscore Precision. What was your most memorable question? I think the most memorable ones are usually based on the reaction that you guys had. I like the answers more than having the questions read, so I think it was right after you came back. Vic finally took a vacation, and I'm trying to remember the question. Oh, right after I came back from being sick? Yeah, you were back on the show. You and Marissa were hosting, and Vic took a break. And I think my question was, you know, were you two going to fight over who gets to work with Vic? Mm -hmm. Because it was your first time doing three hosts at a time. And I think your answer was something along the lines of, why aren't you guys fighting with who gets to work with me? Right. And then uh, Marissa suggested rock, paper, scissors, and you Mm -hmm. said, never played that game before. Mm -hmm. I think Vic reviewed it on the show. He gave it a nine. Sounds like me. Yeah, it does. It is time for our Twitter question of the day. This one's from our old buddy Kyle Chenard at Mr. Underscore Precision. What camera do you prefer to use? And it was just the answers that I enjoy being, because it's almost like being a part of the conversation, which is something I've never really had. I never really had a lot of friends that talked about video games. To be kind of engrossed in the conversation just a little bit was pretty satisfying. Yeah, you really contributed something important to the show for a long time. I mean, the reality of producing the show, I don't know if you know this or if Vic's ever said it to you, like we would get questions, but we wouldn't have like, they weren't falling out of rain clouds. Like you were the guy we could always rely on. We'd 
would maybe get three from other people every week, but you would always have like four or five. Like you would send in just an avalanche of questions. <laughs> I work on an assembly line building cars. And part of the reason why I came up with so many questions for the show was I'm doing a monotonous job where my mind just wanders. You became an essential element of the show. It was probably our favorite part of the day, yeah. you know, honestly. So uh, thank you for doing that. In 2015, Kyle got sick and we had a charity auction on the show to help him out. One of our best Twitter questioners uh, that we have on the show. His name is Kyle Chenard, Mr. Underscore Precision. We're actually uh, uh, trying to help him out a little bit. We're running an auction on our website at epn.tv. It's in our Vic's Basement podcast to help him out because he's been diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Kyle had myeloid leukemia and he couldn't work as he got his treatments, his chemo and his radiation. While he wasn't working, we decided to raise a little money for him. We sold off all the collectibles on our desks and raised uh, one or $2,000. Wasn't a ton of money, but it, it felt like the least we could do to try to help out this guy who'd been so important to us. And this whole story begins, ironically enough, with a broken PS2. My son actually knocked over my PS2. Mm -hmm. And my PS2 was downstairs in the basement, in the corner. Was it an old model PS2? Original model. And uh, I had like 100 games mm -hmm. all just shoved into like my shame corner. Because I wasn't, again, at that time, I wasn't embracing the fact that I was a gamer. I just played games is how I looked at it. Did you really feel shame around it? Yeah. Where did the shame come from? Because um, I felt the same way. And, and I, I really struggled with being a gamer. For me, it was, you know, growing up, I had friends that played games, mm -hmm. but that wasn't their thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, that was really kind of my thing. But it was a nerdy thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be classified as like a nerd. I wanted to fit in with my friends that played sports and did all, and I played some sports too, but I wasn't into them. Has anyone ever judged you for being a gamer? No. Nobody's ever said, why don't you, what are you doing with that? You're wasting all your time. No, and that was one of the things that surprised me when I started to open up about it. Like when I, my PlayStation broke, I, I wanted to replace it, but then I decided I don't need this. You know, I, ha I have a girlfriend I'm living with, uh, her stepson, I'm like a father. Mm -hmm. Why am I still playing games? It's time to move on, so I just sold them. I only beat like, 15 of the 100 games I had. There were some of them that I didn't even open yet. All the money I wasted on that stuff, so I got rid of it. Eventually the itch came back, and after I was laid off, that's when I really needed something to do. Your PS2 got knocked over. Did it get broken? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was just standing up vertically on my little shame shelf and it just got knocked over. We actually ended up getting a Wii because I went over to my friend's house who had a Wii, my wife and I, mm -hmm. and we played that and she really enjoyed it. We ended up getting the Wii and we played Wii Sports for a month and didn't touch it for like three, three or four months. I just eventually decided I traded it in and got a PS3. So that itch kind of came back, but then as I was scratching it, I started to feel shame again. Like now I'm laid off, now I'm working at the job that I was at when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was still coming home looking forward to play video games, which seemed so, I don't know, immature to me at the time. And it wasn't until, I think it was 2012, I was listening to Vic's Basement. Vic's Basement was an extension of the TV show that we used to host. It was our podcast. And you and Vic were saying that you guys were coming to Fan Expo in Toronto. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, well, I wouldn't mind meeting those guys. And my son, who is not into sports, not into summer camp, not into anything, uh, I thought that'd be fun for him. We got the pamphlets that they hand out, and I saw that you and Vic were doing a, a panel on superheroes and video games. I'm like, all right, well, Cole, my son's name, we can go do anything we want, but I want to go to this panel. And I was watching and listening to you guys talk about how Batman games are great and Superman games suck, and Vic went on a Batman rant for a while. Kind of looked around the room, and I noticed that I was probably one of the youngest people in that entire room. It kind of made me realize that and then just being on the show floor and seeing the people there and talking to people that it's not something to be ashamed of that kind of really helped me have a better outlook on what it was it made me happy so what was wrong with it you know all these other people are here sharing the same experience i am and looking for the same experience i am i started feeling a little bit more comfortable about talking about video games i think it was like a week later i sent him my first question that you feel the same I got laid off and ended up back at the retail store I worked at in high school. For the record, that retail store was Canadian Tire. It was tough for me to kind of accept that because I always thought I'd go far. I was never 100% sure what I would do when I was in high school, but I always thought I'd be good at it. For the two years that I was machining and programming, I, I thought I was good. So to go back to a retail dead-end job was tough. Yeah. And uh, I think the game that really helped me through that and gave me, you know, that escape at the end of the day, something to look forward to while dealing with customers was uh, Fallout 3. Because in Vault 101, no one ever enters, and no one ever leaves. Like, I sunk a lot of time into that. <laughs> that was, I needed a game to escape into. Like, it's great to have the eight-hour, you know, narrative-driven experiences, but... With everything going on, I needed an escape, and that, that gave me a lot of time off. So the wasteland. Yeah. Uh, An odd choice. But no, no, no. I, I, I totally, I think it's a great choice. Like, but what were the, what, I mean, what was it about the game that you appreciated the most? I mean, I, I really liked the open world of it. The RPG hook in it really, really got me. I've always been, not, not always, but since I found the playstation i've been really into rpgs but mm -hmm. at that stage in my life i was kind of done with the jrpgs the turn-based kind of random battle system stuff so yeah. going out into an open world and finding new gear and weapons and leveling up and new creatures and even running into a, like a death claw in the first like two hours and you, you got to run away from it. you can't just fight it mm -hmm. you got to run or you'll die but is there a part of it that really stands out as like i'll never forget this part I think the only, I have a terrible memory, but the only part that really stands out for me is uh, one of the first places you visit is Megaton, mm -hmm. which is a small city with a giant nuclear weapon in the center of it. And you go over to a neighboring hotel, which I can't remember the name of, mm -hmm. but you ultimately have to choose, do you want to go there and blow up the city to help the hotel, or do you want to disarm the bomb? and help the city and can't remember if it was the first or second playthrough but at one playthrough I decided to blow up the city so when you're up in the top of the hotel with uh, the owner and he sets it off and you see the explosion I thought that was uh, it was neat to see that like from such a far distance I've never witness such a 
change in a game mm -hmm. from such a distance you can go up to it afterwards and it's just in ruins like I'd, I'd never seen a game world change like that before it's also empowering like at a time when things had been taken away from you yeah and we're and like both the things like when you when you got laid off or, or when you got sick like things were being your health was being taken away from you literally or your job was being taken away from you literally and here you are on top of this building trying to decide the fate of the city and that only video games can give you that feeling yeah. you don't get that feeling watching tv or reading a book or something it's just something video games can give you experiences that i don't think any other media can and i felt like i was that character like that i was portraying myself through that character mm -hmm. i like to think that i was the one that saved the city but there was also the side of me that blew it up so I just want to be the one you love and with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. So after I went to the Fan Expo and I started to feel more comfortable being a gamer, I actually opened up about it. And when someone asked me, you know, what'd you do this weekend? I wouldn't just say nothing. I'd say, oh, I just blew up Megaton. And I'd talk about the games I was playing and stuff. And I actually, someone that I was working with, I was able to figure out that he also liked video games. Yeah. And we actually became really good friends, which I experienced with quite a few people. Once I opened up and I started sending questions to EP, uh, I was in the live chats, you know, I was in other game forums. It's unfortunate that it's not as like open as sports. People just flat out ask you, like, are you into baseball, are you into football, yeah. are you watching the Super Bowl or anything like that? It's not as common to get that from gamers. In 2015, Kyle got sick. I heard he got sick, either from Victor or from Marissa. I had just survived my own terrible illness, and I, I felt great sympathy for him. And I didn't know him at all, and I didn't have his phone number, but Victor Marissa gave me his phone number. I started writing him a text, and I was thinking about what I should say to this guy, and I thought, you know what, fuck it. Why am I trying to text this guy? Call him. So instead of texting his number, I dialed his number, and Kyle picked up it happened in january was when i was diagnosed so i was coming back from christmas break um i had uh like runny noses i had bleeding gums when i brushed my teeth but i was thinking it's probably all the dry air that's making my nose bleed maybe it's time to get a softer toothbrush uh, i didn't think anything of it my energy level was going down and i thought well maybe i'm just having a hard time coming back from the two-week break the christmas break uh, and then i eventually hurt my back and i've had back pain before uh, with sprains and stuff, but this was completely different. So I took a few days off work, I went to my chiropractor, they said it's a slip disc, so we'll adjust it, you'll feel fine in a few days. I haven't slept for those two days at all. My wife actually came home, found me on the floor crying. Took her a while to get something out of me, but I finally said, you know, my chest really hurts. So Kyle's got back pain, and now he's got some sort of bizarre chest pain, and his wife has no idea what's going on. She picked me up and we went to the hospital. So my wife and I were waiting in the waiting room. The doctor comes in with the blood work results and he says, we believe you have some form of acute leukemia. And then he said, uh, cancer. And I don't really remember anything after he said that. I was 28 at the time. That's not something I was going to expect. I guess it kind of took the window to me. I, I don't, it was tough to deal with. I was later diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, which is a blood cancer that your bone marrow and stem cells are producing 
uh, abnormal white cells that are essentially useless. And they start producing them at a rapid rate and it kills off all the other cells. And they rushed me to the cancer hospital in Toronto the next morning. I'm not, not the most optimistic person, but I just thought I'll get through it. I'm young enough, it won't be that big of a deal. And then once I was there and waiting in the room, I don't remember a lot of what was going on. I ended up apparently having a massive like girth in my stomach. Like it swelled like two or three times size what it was. I still don't know. I had a dozen doctors and nurses in my room. They were out in the hallway. My wife went to get a coffee when I first got there and she got a call five minutes later saying, you better get up here. But I ended up having a heart attack. N not because of artery issues, because my blood was so thinned out with the cancer cells. I guess my heart was just working so hard. It couldn't handle it and it just gave up. I started to have a lot of organ failures. They started chemo right away. I was getting it several times a day over the course of seven days. They made a mistake with the antibiotic and it was causing a toxic reaction. And I started hallucinating, which is difficult to think back on, but at the time it was probably good that I didn't really know what was going on. I would be laying in bed and I would be moving my hands around and just kind of out of it and someone would ask me what I'm doing and I'd respond, you know, I'm building a car or I'm cooking dinner or something like that. And it started to get worse that um, I would look out my window and I would see like the world ending or uh, I'd find out that my family and friends were dying or I'd hear people in the hallway talking like, oh, he's not going to make it. You might as well just go home. I actually started to hallucinate that I was Superman and the world was ending outside and all my friends and family died and I had to turn back time in order to try and do it again and then it just got worse every time. The reason why I was in the hospital was because I did that so many times that I was like a thousand years old and I couldn't handle it anymore. I told the nurse, like, she was trying to force me over. I'm like, you know, I used to be able to fly and now I'm here doing this. But I was there for 42 days in the hospital before they felt comfortable sending me home. You got through that, you got back home. Which is actually one of the best days of my life. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, benign, normal stuff, but you know, coming home and seeing my dog for the first time in like 42 days and she just went nuts when I went home and having a shower yeah. in, in, in my shower uh, with pressure and hot water was, it felt amazing and being able to sleep in my own bed and have dinner with my family. You know, it wasn't the food as much as just being able to eat a normal meal in a normal dining room with family or friends or whatever. Just that first day back was really amazing. I started to feel better again and I was feeling great and then I realized well I had to go back for more chemo and they broke me down again. But that time I just went to the hospital for the day, came home. So that was easier. What's and the criteria for needing more chemo? Like how do they know if you need more? I honestly don't know other than it's just protocol. Like the the initial chemotherapy was a lot. It was a lot over the course of seven days. And I guess they just the criteria is for leukemia, you get it and a month after that, and then a month after that, just to make sure that everything's gone and out of your system. I was in remission, and I was home, and I had very little money. I had very little energy, and I didn't have a lot of things I could do, except for playing video games. 
the game that got me through that part was probably Rocket League. And it's a weird game where it's just soccer with giant cars with rockets. But it wasn't until I started playing online where you start seeing people do different things. Mm -hmm. And then you want to try and do it. It's basically a soccer ring in a dome. Mm -hmm. But learning to drive up the wall and then jump and flip off the wall to hit the ball into the net. I saw someone do that online and I couldn't believe he could do that. And then I kept practicing, and then I was able to do that. Do you have any idea how much, how many hours you put into Rocket League? I don't want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a game like Call of Duty where the more you play it, you get better weapons or skills. you got to learn to get better. It's not often you find that in a game. It's usually about leveling up and getting new stuff. But Rocket League, you had to get better to be better. Are you back to work full-time? I just started last week. Okay. Wow. From a second return. Third return. And did, was, did it go okay? Did you feel strong enough for that? No. Okay. No. I have to get regular blood work, like every three months, to make sure that everything's going okay. Because things changed. Okay. I'm not in remission anymore. I'm now a transplant patient. In 2016, in May, they found my white cell count up again and the cancer came back. So, the only option at that point was a transplant. The two treatments that you can get for leukemia, acute leukemia, is chemotherapy is the go-to, which you have to get either way. You can dabble in radiation, but the ultimate goal is a stem cell transplant. That's an operation? I thought so, but no. It's actually a, basically a tr transfusion. It took about an hour to go through. It smelled like cream corn which was weird. And actually the whole hallway smelled like cream corn. And it's uh, because it's a transplant room, it's uh, all air sealed. Yeah. So the smell goes away a long ways. You could always tell when someone's getting a transplant. I was questioning if whether they were just blending cream corn and giving it to people. Apparently that's what the transplant stuff, the stem cells smell like. The stem cell transplant has um, long-term effects on people. You can go blind. Uh, you can have uh, skin rashes, uh, some of your organs won't function. Um, the weird thing about a stem cell transplant opposed to a liver transplant or an organ transplant is usually it's your stem cells rejecting the new organ if you get a liver. Yeah. But now you're getting new stem cells. So your new stem cells are not a part of your body, they're rejecting everything. They need to find a balance uh, in that. that they, they want a little bit of rejection because the idea is that if the cancer cells come back, they'll recognize it and kill it. Right. So you want a little bit of rejection, you just don't want too much that it starts damaging an organ or your skin or your eyes or whatever. I had to take a year off after the stem cell, so about 16 months I was off from work and I had to get all my baby shots again. I had to uh, be careful of what I ate. I couldn't, you know, eat uncooked foods. I couldn't have a salad. It's a new immune system, new cells in your body now that uh, your body, I needed to develop everything again. I got... It's like being reborn. Kind of. In a way, like... like a terrible rebirth. Terrible. <laughs> that was crazy. I got chicken pox again. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Seriously, it's like starting over. Yeah. You hit the reset button. Yeah. And I got, um, you know, if I get sick, like I didn't know this, I shouldn't have researched it, but the most common uh, cause of death for a stem cell transplant is the common cold. You get the common cold and your body just can't fight it and, and it, it kills you. So you live in fear of, of colds, man? I don't care. If I die, I die. Yeah, my, my, my fear is really like, and this, it's reinforced because it's already happened, was after my first round, my fear was if I felt sick or if I felt tired, maybe I didn't sleep enough or maybe I ate something weird the day before, I don't know. My immediate fear was oh, the cancer's coming back and that was hard to live with. And then one day it came true. Um, so that's really the hardest part is that every time I feel off, I think my white cells are probably up. It's probably killing my other blood cells. The stem cell transplant didn't work. What happens if it doesn't work? You know, like, is there anything else out there that I can do? So how has that changed the way you live now? Like what, how is this version of Kyle after all the things you've been through? I'm much more laid back. I don't let things bother me like I used to. As I had my good job and things were getting better, I decided to have like a little game room. And I, I was embracing video games, so I had posters on the walls. I had toys and stuff on the wall. It was something nice for me to walk into, and I just I felt good going into that room. You know, I, I don't think my perspective has changed a lot, um, other than my constant fear, but... Uh, How do you know. manage the fear, though? Like, what do you do with that? It's tough when it comes on at work, because, again, it's monotonous, mindless stuff that I'm doing, so the worst-case scenarios really play through my head constantly. Um, I don't. I don't really have a solution to it other than again video games like to get back into have an escape you know to get into horizon and kill some metal dinosaurs and level up and experience what's going on in that world i just i need something to get me off of that fixation and that fear and once i'm off it i feel better i'm not worried about it in the sense that if it comes back i don't know what's going to happen i'm, I'm going to die or whatever that i usually think like you know i don't want to put my wife and my family through that again that's more what I fear. I've never really feared death. Like, it's not something I want, obviously. It ha if it happens, it happens. And I'm not the one that suffers. Unfortunately, it's my family, so that's what I'm worried about. As long as I can get that distraction and get on a more positive uh, train of thought, I'll, I'll get over it and I'll get through it. And even if I don't for that day, maybe I'll wake up feeling better the next day. And that's all I can really do. I'm back at work, I'm feeling better. Not great, but better. It's a tough adjustment to go from having nothing to do and then spending 40 plus hours working, trying to feel motivated and have the energy to help clean and, you know, walk my dogs and stuff like that. I've, you know, there's some guilt behind that, uh, not being able to do that, but I've accepted a long time ago that I'm, I'm just going to be able to do what I can do. Like, it's going to take, you know, three to five years for me to start feeling normal. So yeah. if I can't do it, I'm sorry. Uh, Todd here at Bethesda. That's legendary video game director Todd Howard at Bethesda Game Studios. Todd directed Fallout 3 and 4. He also directed Skyrim and countless other legendary video game titles. Hey Kyle, we heard you're doing a lot better and heard how much our games have meant to you. you know, Todd, I just, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone over at the team at Bethesda for giving me a chance to escape to these amazing video game worlds that you've created. You know, they've meant so much, so thank you. Just thanks for everything. 
I just want to say, you playing our games, that means the world to us. We hope you keep playing them, and thanks for all the support. Kyle's back at work and he's doing okay these days. He's getting stronger and stronger all the time. Kyle, keep doing what you're doing, buddy. We're all rooting for you. And he's still gaming constantly. He recently finished God of War, which I believe he platinumed. He platinums everything. If you want to help Kyle, the best thing you can do is go to blood.ca and find a place to donate blood or donate a little bit of money if you don't feel comfortable donating blood. If you're in the U.S., redcrossblood.org. That's the site you need to go to. Mr. Underscore Precision is his handle on Twitter. You can find out more about him there. Music tracks in today's episode include Sandbox Jingle by Scott Holmes, Song for the New Year by Lee Rosevere, Answered Prayer by Walt Disney, Union by Lazy Salon, Upbeat by John Luke Hefferman. All tracks can be found in the freemusicarchive.org. Special thanks to Todd Howard, Pete Hines, Sarah Deacons, Blake Siefkin and Victor Lucas from EP Daily, and of course, Stephen Nikolic. Until next time, I'm Scott C. Jones. I'll see you then.